1: That's BetterHelp, dot com slash stuff. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Uh, and since the two of us are in the same room and there's microphones that are recording, this is Stuff You Should Know. What are you sniffing? Grapefruit essential oil. Huh. I don't know why it's here, but it sure is a pleasant smell. That's weird. Hmm. You never know what you're going to get when you walk in in the booth here. Let's douse the place with this. That is lovely. Um, and it's
1: essential oil, which means all natural.
0: And that it's necessary. Well, <laughs> it's not a fragrance oil.
1: Right. Which is... Not all natural. Oh,
0: yeah. You would know all about that. Yeah, yeah. Emily's all over that stuff. You want to plug? Sure. Mama Bath and Body. Loveyourmama.com. And that is Emily's uh, soap and uh, toiletries and candle.
1: Toiletries. Yeah.
0: Toil- yeah. <laughs> like brushes and stuff, right? No, lotion and scrubs and candles. That Those are All toiletries. essential
1: oils, all natural.
0: Boy, this is just... Really? Sure. All right. Uh, we haven't done that in a long time. True. Um... Hey Chuck, I know I asked you, so I know the answer, but um, have you seen Zeitgeist the movie? I have not. I have heard about it before you even said anything. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely out there in the Zeitgeist. Guest producer
1: Maddie was all over that stuff. Oh yeah, when it came out. Yeah,
0: I finally saw it. Um, like I would have these conversations with you, and she's like, "You really need to see Zeitgeist. How have you not seen Zeitgeist?" Right. Well, we finally sat down and watched it, and it it's really really good. I mean, like the guy made it for seven grand, and. Um, just did an incredible job with it, and there's. I, I'm not going to give it away. I, I would recommend everybody seeing it. I'm sure it will like offend a lot of people, and it'll like take <laughs> a lot of people off. But then there are some people out there who will be like, "Wow, this is really cool." Right. But one of the um one of the things one of the first ones first um, segments is talking about how there is um like basically all of the religious figures are could can be dated back to or traced back to Horace. The uh, ancient Egyptian god. Who we've, right. I think we've mentioned that before too. Yeah. Well, the, the Zeitgeist, the movie, like, really goes into detail about this. Um, but it, the whole thing kind of begs a question that's related to um, Noah's Ark, which we're about to talk about, and that how when when you have cultures all over the world that share a similar story or have a similar um, idol or something like that, there's mm-hmm. there's just some sort of commonality. Yeah. And it's so, they resemble one another so much. Is that evidence that it, it something took place? Right. Or is that evidence of cultures borrowing from one another and forming a cultural tradition that can be traced back to a single source? Or both. I, it, yeah. I mean, it definitely can be both to an extent. Sure. But, I mean, there is a, disparance, the, uh, a disparity between the two also. I mean, yeah. You know, um, but the flood definitely falls into that because- There are stories of the flood, of a global, worldwide, catastrophic flood that just changed everything right, all over the place.
1: Yeah. And many, many religions. Right. And many religious texts. Yes. It is true.
0: Usually accompanying that flood legend is a man who built a boat, Mm -hmm. was commanded by God or warned in some traditions, and built a boat, um, put... Two of every animal he could find on him, or two of every animal, and uh, basically sat there and waited for the rains to come. Steve Carell. Exactly. <laughs> Did you see that? No, never. Yeah. I him.
1: Did you? Uh, I saw parts of it, enough to know <laughs> that I was disappointed in Steve Carell. I got that Not in him. Not from the but...
0: uh, TV ads.
1: Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. But they, they, you know, that's kind of the story, though, is that uh, a man named Noah is chastised by uh, the people in his... Uh, Town, (laughs) yeah, in his area, yeah, for being foolish and oh, there's not going to be a flood. He's warning us of this flood. You're silly, silly man, building your crazy, silly ark.
0: Right, and there's that's definitely part of the allegory. the The moral tale is, you know, you should be able to withstand the ridicule of your uh, non-believing heathen neighbors. Sure, when God talks to you, that's right. Right. Let's talk about the other more possibly scientific aspects of the flood, because it's so ubiquitous. Um, A lot of people have dedicated scientific inquiry to it.
1: Big time. Uh, (laughs) This article says outright that a literal flood that would submerge the earth to its mountaintops is not possible, because that would require uh, five times the amount of water in the oceans and atmosphere put together.
0: Right, because one of the aspects of this flood legend is that the whole earth was flooded. Right. Right. Up to the mountaintops.
1: Right. And here's where we get into that whole Mm -hmm. ball of yarn of literal Bible literalists or biblical fundamentalists. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe the whole world at that time meant that area, you know, the Middle East.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, like, this is a time when there was no communication other than maybe a baked clay tablet. Right. Um and travel was fairly limited and regional sure. in nature. Yeah. So if you have a big enough flood, it, by all intents and purposes, like the world is flooded. The world as they know it. Yes. Yeah. Right.
1: I just found out the Bible literalists—they don't literally believe every word of the Bible is like. They still believe in in metaphor and parable, and allegory and stuff like that. Right. I oh, kinda, okay. I kind of thought they they. Those people believed exactly what you see in the Bible is exactly what happened.
0: Yeah, uh, but do they? Uh, why would they call themselves literalists?
1: Well, because they're more literal than, I guess, the other camp. Gotcha. But it's yeah, that's a. I mean, that's a entirely different podcast altogether.
0: Oh yeah, there's a lot of lot of stuff with that, and one we'll probably never record. <laughs> probably not. Um, well, let's talk about some of the uh, theories behind all this. You said that it's physically impossible. It's Biogeochemically impossible for um, the Earth to have flooded up to the mountaintops. That's what they say. That's what scientists say. You said that uh, it's probably a little more. Um, it was probably a little more local or regional, and there's actually evidence of um, flooding in the right place at about the right time. Sure. Enough to support what's called the Noah's flood hypothesis.
1: Right, A.K.A. Black Sea deluge theory.
0: <laughs> I like them both. Yeah, they're both good. Uh, don't say the band name thing. That like eighty people just went like, "Oh, that's an awesome." Oh, I didn't think about that. Black Sea's lose theory.
1: Yeah, a little too long. Okay, for my taste. Uh, so you're talking about William B. F. Ryan, Walter C. Pittman of Columbia, in 1996, the New York Times actually before they even published it, in, uh, in like, journals, the mm-hmm. New York Times published it. Yeah. Um, they postulated a theory that the the great flood was resulting from rising waters in the Black
0: Sea just as the last uh, ice age was tapering off. Which makes a lot of sense. 5600 B.C. Yeah. Um, they're, basically, their their whole idea was that the ice caps um, overwhelmed the Mediterranean, right? which flowed across the um, Bosporus Strait mm-hmm. and into the Black Sea, right? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And apparently this would have happened at about 200 times the force of Niagara Falls, those two guys reckon. 60,000 square miles, they think. Would have been flooded. Yeah. Uh, And there's actually evidence. um, The guy, Robert Ballard, who discovered the Titanic, who um, we'll visit with later, um, found evidence that there is, there was indeed, the Black Sea was indeed at one time a freshwater lake. Right. Now it is a saltwater sea, an inland sea. And so, most likely, that was the result of the Mediterranean infiltrating it. Is he who found, is that 2007? Was that his work? No, no. He okay. was, he, um, searched for, uh, evidence of Noah's Ark in the late 90s, okay. 1999 and 2000. Um, but, so they did find incontrovertible natural evidence, but they didn't find evidence that there were people that would have witnessed it. So they don't know if it happened at a time when people noticed it or if it was cataclysmic, if it killed a bunch of people or what. Sure. Hey there, everybody. Here's some bonus stuff you should know. This time, it's about traveling to Orlando for business. Orlando has tons of places to host your conferences and meetings. Dr. Michael Edwards, CEO of Ocean Insight, said it best. Orlando is as much a business capital as an entertainment one. And when the day is done, you can kick off each evening at one of 46 Michelin-rated restaurants. What's not to love? So check out Orlando, where the possibilities for business travel are unbelievably real. Learn more at OrlandoForBusiness.com.
1: 2007, they found evidence that ice caps uh, melting from Greenland uh, kicked the sea level up about four and a half feet between uh, over the course of about, what, 600 years or so. Yeah. But there was a five-year study from UNESCO and the International Union of Geological Services in 2009 that said if there was a sea rise and a flood like that, it was probably over a longer period of time and more mild than that
0: well yeah 600 years yeah more mild than 600 years they were saying
1: yeah like maybe as much as a thousand years
0: right and here's the big problem um the the noah's flood hypothesis and all the supporting evidence doesn't there's a really important piece left out which is the rain depending on who you talk to it rained for six days up to 40 days and 40 nights well up to 150 days actually oh whose was that well that's in the bible Oh okay. I thought it was forty days and forty nights. Well it
1: days. says forty days and forty nights, but then I think oh man, I wish I had it in front of me. So something about the the waters for hundred and fifty days. So maybe it rained that long and the flooding rose oh, yeah, yeah. up to a point of 150
0: days. Right. Before it subsided.
1: And he also took uh seven pairs of clean animals.
0: Uh yeah, and then two of AKA each edible unclean animals. Yeah. Yeah. AKA ferrets. <laughs> they're they're really unclean. They're good eating, though. Jared just laughed at that. It's also possible and probable that um, this, the whole flood legend, since remember um, the world was a lot smaller, even though it was really large at the time, um, was a larger than usual flooding of the Tigris and Euphrates. Which flood every year. Yeah. And yeah, and exactly. We, every the, summer, I think. Yeah, it's, it's seasonal flooding. You know, we didn't mention Noah's flood in the F- How Floods Work episode, did we? This was the follow-up. Um, but the, the seasonal flooding, if there was one that was really, really, really bad, Yeah. right? Um, the the These people, the people who started to first record the idea of Noah and this great flood, were in that area at the time, the Mesopotamia uh, area, starting with the Sumerians. Right. And some postulate
1: perhaps Noah was... Uh, wealthy and could afford a really great boat, and the Tigris and Euphrates flooded, and that became the story that eventually morphed into uh, Islamic and Judeo-Christian versions. Right,
0: but about 2,000 years before uh, it was recorded in the Old Testament, um, the Sumerians wrote of a man named uh, Zeus Sudra, right? Yeah. And uh, he was basically the archetype for Noah yes. and the flood story, and then f- that was followed up by the world's first book, the world's first known book. One of my personal favorites, uh-huh. the Epic of Gilgamesh, by John Grisham. <laughs> right, right, yeah, it was a good one. Yeah, I can't believe that twist at the end. Of, I know. And guy the guy who the lady with the uh, forty million dollars.
1: <laughs> Crazy. So, uh, you're right. That is the oldest book in recorded history. And the Babylonians say there was a man named, uh, Utna, <laughs> Utna And he warned of a great flood, built a boat about the size of an acre. And, uh, there were six days and nights of rain. And he sailed to modern
0: day, uh, Bah, Bahran. Right. What, what's uh, interesting is that the, the size of the boat is found Just about the same in all of these traditions. Yeah. Starting with Gilgamesh, about an acre in size, up to the Bible, which mentions that it's 300 cubits. And let's just go ahead and discuss cubits for a moment, okay? I think it's time (laughs) in the history of stuff you should know that we finally got to cubits. Yeah. But a cubit is an ancient uh, measurement of length that runs from the tip of the middle finger to the uh, inside of the elbow. It's usually about 14 inches. Or something like um, 45.72 centimeters, 18 inches, or 45 centimeters, right? Yeah. Um, So 300 cubits is 5,400 inches, or 13,716 centimeters, which means it's 450 feet, or 137 meters, right? Right. Long. Long.
1: 50 wide, 30 (laughs) tall, three decks made of gopher wood.
0: All that equals would cover about an acre in area. It's a big boat. It is, but it is strange that it does appear it, with about the same dimensions in all these traditions. So it makes you wonder if there was a wealthy merchant right, um, in the area at that time, did he really have an acre-sized boat, or was it just like that's the opposite of an allegory for a really big <laughs> boat? It's like really specific rather than hyperbolic. Yeah. Maybe so. It'd be hypobolic. That's a big
1: boat for today. Yeah, it with is. today's technology. Yeah. Uh, so in the uh, Quran, and for people out there that are going, what? Noah's in the Quran? Yeah, no, N U H. N nah, U H. He's one of the five prophets of Islam, uh, along with uh, Abraham, Jesus, Moses, and Adam.
0: Wait, did you just say Jesus? <laughs> I did. Did you know this before this article? Uh yeah. I took religion in college. Oh, okay. I had no idea yeah. that Jesus is um a venerated prophet in the Islamic tradition. I bet a lot of people don't know that. Yeah. Well, We do now.
1: Uh so the book of Surah or S U R A H Surah tells of uh Nu or Noah, um, speaking as a prophet of God, warning his neighbors, turn from your evil ways. And aside from the name differences and the where the ark eventually uh lands, which in the Bible, it's Mount Ararat, and the Quran, it's uh, Mount uh, Judi, or is it Judai? Uh, I took it as Judy. Judy. Um Those are really the only differences. Other than that, they're pretty similar to each other. Right. But those locations are very
0: specific. Yeah. It's not like
1: on a mountain somewhere.
0: Right. And they're also two very different locations, both known at the time. So, yeah. I mean, it's not like they were confused or anything like that. Um, there's also another location um, that people search, too, uh, Mount Suleiman in Iran. But those are the three big mountains that are being looked at currently. That is correct, sir. So let's talk about um, the search. There's There's been uh, a lot of – there's been a number of searches. I think there still are for the ark. People want to find evidence of the ark because if you find the ark, well, then everything really happened. And the creationists and literalists are like, hey, I told you. Case closed. Um and so a lot of people have kind of looked into this, and we talked about the geological evidence. There's a little more. Um, there's some evidence that the the Tigris and Euphrates River did indeed have a pretty big flood around 2900 BC, right? And that it wiped out entire cities in Sumer, right? That's that's pretty good evidence that this flood did indeed happen. A flood, s- sure. right? Yeah, a flood. Yeah, but we're still lacking. One of the main components, as far as biblical scholars are concerned, which is the ark fingerprints. Oh, right. <laughs> so p- yeah, let's go to Ararat, which is particularly tantalizing, or was at one point in time. Oh, right? Yeah, sure.
1: Uh, there, uh, the uh, and I got a little info on this special in 1993, mm-hmm. the incredible discovery of Noah's Ark. CBS aired this uh, special that they later on said was entertainment and not documentary. Right. After the fact. Yeah. Uh, that had a. Uh, it was hosted by, what's his name, uh, Darren McGavin from A Christmas Story.
0: He's awesome. He's, and Billy Madison. Was awesome. Yeah,
1: Billy Madison. And um, did I ever tell you I saw The Christmas Story uh, at a screening in L.A. and they brought him out? No. The director was there and told stories. He made porkies so he could make a Christmas story.
0: Oh yeah, you did tell me, it that. me that. And yeah. they wheeled
1: out Darren McGavin, or they didn't wheel him out. He was he was in a wheelchair, kind of back into my right, and everyone stood and clapped. And he was just kind of like, it was kind of sad. He was old.
0: He waved like the Queen. Yeah,
1: and his wife was like, "This is for you." Like, I don't think he quite got it. Oh wow, he yeah. was that old, huh? Yeah, he died not too long after
0: that, I think. When'd you see him? So this was definitely post Billy Madison, because he was yeah. totally sharp and mobile and everything. This was like 2001 ish, or 2000. Oh, okay, somewhere in there. Wow, he went downhill quick. Yeah, it's very sad. I yeah, love that was, guy. He was great in Kolchek too. In what? Kolchek, the Night Stalker. <laughs> <laughs> Did you is, ever see that? Is that a movie? No, it was a TV show. Really? Yeah, it was like um, kind of like a Outer Limits kind of thing, but it was mainly monsters. He was a private detective <laughs> who that. would who would like end up on a case and there was a monster behind it or something like that or a ghost or something crazy like that. It was like a supernatural detective series. Huh. Yeah, it's cool. I can't believe I've never heard of that. It's crazy. He had this tagline, who loves you, baby? <laughs>
1: Not a finger. Uh, all right. Boy, we can get distracted so easy. Um, he hosted the show. CBS uh, ran the show. And a guy named George Jamal, um, supposedly his story was that he and a companion named Vladimir uh, crawled into a hole in the ice at the top of Mount Ararat okay. into a wooden structure. All right. Um, he I'm says, so far. <laughs> he says, quote, we got very excited when we saw this part of the room was divided into pens, like places where you would keep animals. And so this is on TV and people are getting like really excited about this mm-hmm. guy. Uh, he took some wood with him. Uh, then tragedy struck. Vladimir was taking pictures and basically backed up and like fell out and tumbled down the mountain and died, destroying the film evidence. Wink, wink. Okay. Uh And, as of course, if you can't see where this is headed, as it later comes out, George Jamal is an actor. He'd been telling this story for years. He's never been to Turkey. <laughs> there is no Vladimir. The whole thing was completely made up. And uh, it gets a little more fun, though. They had experts uh, paraded about uh, throughout the show that claimed certain things like biblical-era people developed batteries. And uh, with those batteries, they ran air conditioners.
0: <laughs> Wait, I've heard about batteries. They <laughs> did have chemical batteries, like back in Egypt.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Did they run air
0: conditioners? I don't believe that.
1: Um, they said that the flood occurred in subterranean chambers, uh, bursting up through the Earth's surface mm-hmm. with the explosion, uh, explosive power of 10 billion hydrogen bombs. <laughs> and it's important to note that none of this is, like, substantiated. It was all just, like, made up stuff. Okay. And then finally, they found fossils of animals. Buried in swimming positions, and fish found in positions of terror, fins extended and eyes bulging. So, like, these fish were so scared <laughs> that they were fossilized. And, uh,
0: Flash fossilized. Flash fossilized. With their eyes intact?
1: Bulging at the, the water, because I guess a lot of water is intimidating to a fish. <laughs> I would think they would
0: have been like, sweet. Do you think they really need to pile on more lore on this? It was weird. Can we just stick with the existing lore and try to figure that out? So
1: anyway, that was a big hoax and it was found out to be a hoax and a big disappointment for
0: some people. I'm sure some people. Other people are probably like, ha, ha. <laughs> um, so i mentioned Robert Ballard, the guy who found the Titanic, uh-huh. famed explorer. Um, he d- led an expedition in 1999 and 2000. Um. And he was looking not so much for Noah's Ark itself, although if there's any place on Earth that would be a great place to preserve a wooden boat for several thousand years, the Black Sea, the bottom of it is uh-huh. apparently perfect. Oh, yeah? Very, very cold, very low in oxygen. Um, and they have found some pretty ancient wood structures, but they haven't found any Neolithic structures. Right. Although I said they did find the ancient shoreline. They found seven kinds of mussels. Like ancient extinct mussels, five of them are saltwater, two are freshwater, which uh-huh. is incontrovertible evidence that there is that, that they found this old ancient freshwater lake shoreline. Right, and at some point, that's what the Black Sea was, and then it was inundated somehow, but Slowly no quickly. quickly, uh, not from the Neolithic period where it should have where this would have taken place. Yet, yet. he right. has found some stuff, but not necessarily. That and that would suggest that this flood did happen and it did happen quickly, and there were people around to witness it right. and create a story about it.
1: But would experts think that <laughs> there is no wood
0: that would survive that long? It's that's likely the case
1: in ice and water and whatever.
0: And also, I mean, if it was trapped in ice, like say on the side of Ararat, mm-hmm. right? Um, a glacier wouldn't have frozen it in place. it would have moved it down the mountain. That's what they say so what about uh suleiman uh well, let's talk about the
1: Ararat anomaly first because that's pretty interesting.
0: okay, I'm sorry, I thought we already had did we i I guess not I, I think, don't think we were we about to and yeah. we took a step to the left.
1: There are photos uh, that were taken by the c i a um back in the day, and I think it was i think it was actually film as well, and they've got film frames now that they've released uh. huh uh they were classified and then released in nineteen ninety nine under the Freedom of information act. and if you look at pictures, there's a dark spot, yeah uh, and at it the looks top like of, a big old boat, yeah, it looks like a big old boat and um so they called that the error anomaly, but uh most like experts claim, like you said, that it wouldn't just be stuck frozen up there. It no. would have moved right down from the mountain, not at fifteen thousand feet, yeah, no.
0: and that's where um uh. George Jamal said he what he found it was on Ararat.
1: Yeah. Okay. Which he'd never
0: been to. Right. <laughs> um, and then Mount Suleiman, uh, that's the one in Iran, and yes. that's been of particular interest to the Bible Archaeology Search and Expo- Exploration Institute. Did you see this one? I have not. It Does it like look a, like it too? No, it looks like a. I mean, it's rock. Well, they're saying like, but it's yeah, it looks like it's rock, but it's actually petrified wood. But it's not. The it's big rock. problem is it's missing like obvious cuts and joints and yeah. evidence that it was m- a man-made wooden structure at some point in time.
1: Yeah, there's uh, there's a Christian apologetics uh, group called Answers in Genesis that you can find on the internet, uh-huh. and they even came out and were like, I think officially they didn't have an official comment, but they said, you know, even Christian creationist geologists say that it's a rock formation, and this kind of stuff, if you push it, just makes us look bad. Gotcha. But they still said, but you never know. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Right. But it is in the shape of a boat-ish.
0: That's cool. Of roughly the same size. That's very neat. Yeah. So it's still out there, possibly. I like Ballard's approach. He's like, I'm not looking for the man. I'm looking for evidence that this flood took place and there are people around to witness it. Yeah. If I find the boat, awesome. If not, whatever. And everyone else can just duke it out. Yeah, exactly. I find it interesting. I do, too. I sit ringside. Oh, yeah, that's that's a good place to be in this one. Sure. Hey there, are you thirsty? Well, before you take a sip, have you stopped to think about what's in your water? Many conventional bottled waters contain PFAS, harmful substances known as forever chemicals. But... You can drink water as clean as nature intended.
1: Richard's Rainwater collects 100% pure, refreshing drops of rain. Yes, it really is rain, everybody. This rain is caught clean before it hits the ground or becomes polluted with pesticides and contaminants commonly found in groundwater.
0: Yep, Richard's Rainwater is naturally pure with no need for harsh chemicals or additives. That means no added fluoride, no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. Hey there, everybody. Here's some bonus stuff you should know. This time, it's about traveling to Orlando for business. Orlando has tons of places to host your conferences and meetings. Dr. Michael Edwards, CEO of Ocean Insight, said it best. Orlando is as much a business capital as an entertainment one. And when the day is done, you can kick off each evening at one of 46 Michelin-rated restaurants. What's not to love? So check out Orlando, where the possibilities for business travel are unbelievably real. Learn more at orlando dot Um, you got anything else? Uh, no. My my nephew's name is Noah. I know. I met him finally. You sure did. He is taller than you. That is crazy. Yeah. 13, taller than me. Yeah. He's uh he's getting up there. Shoes bigger, voice deeper. <laughs> it's funny. He's it's it's like this little kid with this deep voice <laughs> now. No, I was so waiting funny. for it to crack at any moment. Um, Okay, well, that's it. If you want to learn more about Noah's Ark, you can read this pretty cool article on the site by typing Noah's Ark in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, our beloved site. And I said HowStuffWorks.com or search bar or something like that, which means it's time for listener mail. Hold everything, Josh.
1: Before listener mail, we need to announce one final time which still won't be enough, because some people will still say, well, "I didn't know about it." TS, but we're we doing even, all we can. Yeah, seriously. Aside uh, from coming <laughs> to your house and telling you, excuse me, uh, March eleventh on uh, Sunday, we are live podcasting at South by Southwest, three mm-hmm. thirty p.m. Yep. to four thirty in uh, at the Driscoll Hotel, mm-hmm. Maximilian Room. That's official. You need to be a badge holder to get in. That is correct. The following evening, happy hour, Monday, March twelfth, five to nine. Fado Irish Pub, 214 West
0: 4th Street. Yeah. What's going on? We're having the Stuff You Should Know uh, live variety show. Yeah. We're going to have our buddy John Hodgman there, our soon-to-be buddy Eugene Merman doing some stand-up. He's very funny. We're going to have music by Lucy Wainwright Roach, uh, Crooks, local Austin band. And uh, our good friends, the Henry Clay people, your brothers in arms. That's right. And all of this is to show off clips from the public debut of our TV pilot that we made for uh, Science Channel. That's right. A Half-hour TV pilot.
1: Half-hour show. If you think you know what it's like, you are mistaken. It ain't no Mythbusters. Not that there's anything wrong with that.
0: Well, why would we want to do another thing, a Mythbusters? We're doing our own thing. Is that what people think it is?
1: Well, I mean, that's what I would think it would be sort
0: of like. Oh, okay, but this is different. It is definitely. Science not Channel is is rolling
1: the dice here on us. It's neat, and it it's very neat and fun. And um, please show up to see clips. I mean, it's going to be like the party that evening in Austin. At least that's what I think.
0: Well, yeah, there's going to be a lot of parties too. So yeah, it's that's really saying something. So come on down.
1: You don't have to be 21. Uh, bring your kids. They can have some chicken fingers and uh, iced tea. And uh, it'll just be a good, wholesome night of fun.
0: You're really pimping the chicken fingers lately. <laughs> I love chicken fingers. All right, let's get back to it.
1: Yes, uh, this is from Sarah, the amazing 14-year-old fan. Awesome. It's been a while. Yeah. We even psyched people out with the Hodgman thing, but this is real. Uh, hi there, epic people. That's the three of us. Uh, wow, I just realized how long it's been since I emailed you guys. It has been forever. Over the past nine months, I've made some pretty big transitions. I'm now a freshman in high school. It's in so crazy. And it is in my old grade school. Uh, we had about thirty kids in the grade. Now I have a hundred kids. May not seem like too extreme to you, but it's a little bit of a change. I went from knowing all my classmates' middle names, birthdays, family members, etc. Qu- uh, I'm sorry parentheses not in a creepy way. If you're with someone for eight years, you get to know a bit about them. <laughs> she points out. Okay. Like we would think she's some creepo. Right. Uh to not knowing everyone. Uh, luckily, I knew quite a few people from the other two towns that we came together with to make a high school, so the transition wasn't that bad. Um, when I was in grade school, I was involved in almost every extracurricular possible. Not much has changed. I uh, played golf. I'm in FBLA. Remember that? Future Business Leaders of America. <laughs> uh, student Council, which I was in. Scholastic Bowl, International Club, Band and Drama Club. Uh, I'm also taking singing and guitar lessons. So Sarah is continuing to her plot to overtake the world, <laughs> clearly. Uh, and then she just realized she hasn't listened to a podcast in over a month. I literally facepalm myself. And then she sent us a YouTube video, Josh, of a macrame lady who is afraid of owls mm-hmm. on PBS. Okay. And she thought it was very funny. Mm-hmm. I did too. And it gave her an idea that we should do a podcast on macrame, or maybe do on over phobias of animals. Uh-huh. And then I thought, maybe do one on public television. So she says, do you see my dilemma? I have too many ideas. In normal circumstances, this wouldn't be a problem. That's it? That's how she ended that one? No, uh, there was some other stuff. Okay. I had to edit it. It was a long one.
0: Well, thanks a lot, Sarah. We're glad for yet another dispatch from you, and not a phony one this time. That's right. Uh, it was a real one. I, I emailed her back. I was like, hey, have you listened? Like, you, uh, you, We need to send you your book. And she was like, oh, okay, send me my book. I was like, okay, have your parents send us your address. And Did they do goes, that? She goes, oh, I'll have to get back to you. So I suspect her parents don't know if she's an internet celebrity. <laughs> Probably so. Um, well, if, uh, let's see, what do you want to hear about? Oh, I don't know.
1: If you've been, if you, how about this? If you've visited any uh, biblical. Uh, Locations, Okay. Famous biblical locations.
0: If you've visited any famous biblical locations and you know of great restaurants and watering holes in Austin, we want to hear about them. <laughs> one or the other. Um, <laughs> it's almost one in the same, Chuck. You can, again, remember, follow us on Twitter at SYSK Podcast. Um, and you can join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. And you can also... Um send us emails. Just a, a great, wonderful, old-fashioned email um, to stuffpodcast at discovery.com.
1: Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House Stuff Work staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready, are you?
0: Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that you know Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work.